Hey everyone, this is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome to our newest member of the Device Talks podcast family. It's called Medtronic Talks. Our constant search to find new ways to bring you insights in the medtech industry led us to the fine, fine folks of Medtronic. They've agreed to make their senior leaders available to us and to you. In each episode, we'll discuss the opportunities and challenges facing one of medtech's clear leaders, so you'll have an inside view on what makes Medtronic go. We'll ask the questions, Medtronic will provide the answers, and our great network of sponsors makes it all possible. So sit back, hop on a treadmill, take the dog for a walk, whatever you do when you listen to a great podcast and let's listen to how Medtronic is getting the job done. Let's go. Hi everyone, this is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the Medtronic Talks podcast. We're going to talk about the diabetes operating unit today. I had a chance to speak with Sean Salmon. Sean is executive vice president at Medtronic and president of the diabetes group. We talked a lot about the what a special connection the diabetes community has with the medical device industry and in particular how Medtronic is working to connect even more closely with that community. We talked about the company's string of acquisitions and what it takes to incorporate new businesses and new people into Medtronic. And lastly, we hit upon Medtronic's unique partnership with the Blackstone Group, a private equity group that is working with the diabetes unit to foster innovative ideas. So Great conversation. It's great to talk with Sean, who's a fellow BU alum, and I know you'll enjoy this conversation. First, I want to introduce our sponsor for this episode, BMP Medical. I had a chance to speak with Ed Kangas. Ed is the Vice President of Sales and Marketing at BMP. Ed, tell us a bit about BMP. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, BMP Medical is a third-generation family-owned business with 43 years of experience in the plastics manufacturing industry supporting original equipment manufacturers. Uh, we're ISO 1345, we're FDA registered and Medicredit accredited. Our customers look to us to provide production support in plastics injection molding, injection blow molding, two-shot molding, and insert molding. The markets we support are primarily the medical device diagnostics and life science markets. Our job at BMP Medical is to take our customers' concepts to production and finally, to a finished good state. Our goals are to deliver programs that help accelerate their go-to-market success. Over the past year, we've had the privilege of partnering with the company to support the manufacturing of a sample collection device to aid in identifying COVID-19. We're incredibly proud that the solutions we provide on a day-to-day -day basis can help improve patient lives. Well, Sean Salmon, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tom. Happy to be here. Great to have you here. Uh, the di diabetes business at Medtronic has been, I think, one of the more actives on the acquisition front. And I want to uh, understand sort of how those different pieces fit into the larger puzzle. But before we go there, I'd love to just learn a little bit how you found your way into uh, into the medtech industry. You've been you've been here for quite a while. Yeah, it's um, more than thirty years, I think. Now I kind of lose count, but uh, yeah, it was really <laughs> it was by accident, like, like literally by accident. I was uh, way back in college. I was a I was trying to be an athlete in college and I wound up getting injured and wound up on, on the table getting oh my. my ankle operated on reconstructed. And, uh, I just got really fascinated with the whole space of, of healthcare. And, you know, I guess I'm still maintain my pre-med status even now, but I was going down that track uh -huh. until working in a academic medical environment in Boston. Um, that's where I got to school and I just was sort of horrified by what that side of medicine was really like, but got fascinated by technology and um, didn't want to go to medical school. I went up 
becoming a clinical specialist in the field and worked my way through the sales ranks and into marketing jobs. Uh, started out with the pioneering balloon angioplasty company way back in the day, a company called USCI, it's part of CR Bard. Then I worked um, to try to convince them to get into different areas of medicine, including this novel idea of putting a piece of metal into the coronary artery to hold it open and you tear it. Kind of formative when I was working in the hospital side of things. You know, I'd spent too many times writing on the chest of a patient down to the OR when the balloon would tear the artery and you need to repair it. Wow. But couldn't, couldn't convince the team at the time that that was a good idea. So I wound up going to uh, Johnson Johnson Interventional Systems. And there's a long saga from there, but really a kind of a storied history of just this remarkable progress in the area of minimally invasive technology to treat coronary conditions, which you know, I had a personal connection to. My grandfather died of the disease. My grandmother had it. So yeah, like, like a lot of people, you find find your way in there. Wow. Maybe 10 years into that career, I decided I probably should know something about business. <laughs> and, you know, went off and learned that and uh, did a startup company, worked in the pharmaceutical industry for a little while too, and, and advertised. So I learned a lot about a whole bunch of this disease conditions, but sort of the background of all the risk factors, hypertension, diabetes is one of the products, areas mm -hmm. I worked in, dyslipidemia. But I've spent the last 17 years in Medtronic, mostly on the cardiovascular side, which I still do some of that. And uh, of course, running the diabetes business now. So it's it's been just a remarkable, rewarding career. And I just uh, I just get excited going to work every day. There's something more that we can do. That's great. Can't ask for much more than that. I wasn't going to bring up our college connection, but you 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 mentioned college. I went to BU. I think we love overlap by a year or two. What sport were you playing there where you got injured? Well, I I was trying to be a track athlete. But ah. tr truth of the matter is I was not good at any of my best events. They tried <laughs> to make me a decathlete. And I think I kind of peaked in high school and it was over from there. But that's all right. Not a lot of money in track, I guess, either. So that's true. You didn't miss out on a lucrative BU hockey career, but uh, or yeah. pro hockey career. But let's uh, that's uh, that's a great uh, summation, and it's interesting that uh, you and I, I think it's it's frequent in, in medical devices where you see folks enter the clinical side first and decide to to pivot. Do do you feel you're tapping into some of the same energy that you you were tapping into when you're in a hospital? treating patients? Is there that same sort of caring for, for patients in what, in what you do now? No, I think there's really no replacement for having that connection to what mm -hmm. the real world's about. And, you know, just seeing the, the bad things that can happen and the wonderful things that can happen in healthcare, I think just keep you grounded about what matters. You know, this, I'll remember forever when you see like those family members wringing their hands in fear when their, their loved ones on the table getting treated and, mm -hmm. You know, it's it's a really, really rewarding situation where they all relax and the patient comes through and does really well. And the opposite is true also. You know, if something bad happens, there are complications there. But it personalizes a lot of what that's about. So as you're driving through all of the motivating reasons why you want to get a team aligned to do something in medtech, I think having that, that real kind of connection to what matters and just keeping yourself grounded in that every day. Now, in the diabetes business, it's a little different because hopefully if we're doing our job right, they're never going to get there. We don't want mm -hmm. them at the end of those cardiovascular complications that you know, I spent most of my career being involved with. But I think it's in a similar way, just having that understanding and empathy for what somebody living with this condition has to go to. It's just different than all the stuff you learn in business school, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but But I do think that the 
the diabetes community perhaps is the one that is most closely connected to med tech and that in that the patients there are so active in their care. They're such strong advocates, literally, you know, track clinical trials and want to know when products are coming out. It's, it's obviously essential to them in, in every definition of the term. What is it like for you leading this group, knowing that you're you're serving such a, a passionate and an invested population? Well, you know, Tom, I think that that's absolutely motivating to me to know that you've got this community that's so involved, so engaged and you know, really rooting for success all the way around. And they have high standards and mm-hmm. they're pushing the boundaries for all the things that are in the way of, of getting to those technologies. But I'd say that that's sort of, that's a vocal group and an important group, typically the type one space. And you find a complete apathetic population in type two, where mm. you, know, you kind of go through this cascade of failures before you get to insulin. You're at the end of the line. By then, a lot of the healthcare practitioners and the patients themselves have sort of given up hope that they can change their fate. And there's just a lot of just awareness issues. And you know, even insulin itself is that kind of end of the line drug is viewed as some like a, like a failure for everyone. And the doctor didn't get patient convinced. They made bad choices. And it's really, that's a mischaracterization too, because you can do so much better by having that insulin therapy earlier in the course of the disease, you know, type two. So it's really, it's all over the place. And there's, a, I think what I've learned about diabetes is that it's a very personal disease and a very different experience for everybody who lives with it, no matter what type you have, whether it's gestational or if you've got, you know, type one or type two, there's just very, very different experiences. And when we think about innovation for services or products, we have to be really clear about Know, what we're doing for whom in that in that pursuit. So mm-hmm. it's uh, now I think it's easy to characterize a market like that as you know one thing or another thing, but it's a lot of things, which makes it uh, both interesting and and difficult. Fair point. So let's talk about how that uh, that population and and your understanding of that population, how that has sort of informed your strategy and Medtronic strategy yeah. for for diabetes. Uh, as I mentioned up at the top. You've made some some strategic acquisitions in recent years, Neutrino and Clue. Let's let's kind of walk through a few of the acquisitions and how they fit into your portfolio. Let's take a quick break from this conversation with Sean Salma to visit again with our episode sponsor, BMP Medical. I'm here with Ed Kangas. Ed, again, is the Vice President of Sales and Marketing at BMP. Ed, I understand BMP is working out of a new facility. Tell me about it. Sure, Tom. In 2019, we moved into a newly renovated 80,000 square foot manufacturing facility with an additional 20,000 square feet of expansion space in support of our growth and the growth of our partners. We support our OEM partners from product design and development, R&D tooling, mold design and development, injection molding and injection blow molding production, and clean room assembly and packaging. Currently, all our manufacturing capabilities reside in a class A clean room. We also offer class seven and class eight assembly and packaging services. We are consistently investing capital and improving our facilities and resources to support our clients' growing critical applications. Some recent examples are ongoing implementation programs of IQMS, Medicredit accreditation, and support of risk mitigation for our customers, continuous six-segment training, and continued equipment and technology upgrades. That's great, Ed. And finally, how does BMP work with its medical device clients? We're incredibly proud to be manufacturing medical components and devices that matter trust, relationships, and a commitment to successful outcomes 
are what we strive for at BMP Medical. We're proud of our history, family-driven culture, and our experienced stable workforce. You'll always experience one-on-one personal touch when interacting with BMP Medical. Whether you are reviewing a quote, discussing validation protocols with our quality team, or reviewing mold design with our engineering team, you'll always experience a friendly, knowledgeable, and highly dedicated team. We work endlessly to provide optimal value, and the size of our company allows us to be agile to your evolving requirements. Whether you have a new device concept, an approved design, or molds to be transferred, we'll work with your team to provide the best and most efficient solutions possible. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for sponsoring this episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast, Ed. For more information about BMP Medical, go to bmpmedical.com. And now let's get back into this interview with Sean Salmon of Medtronic. You've made some some strategic acquisitions in recent years, Neutrino and Clue. Let's let's kind of walk through a few of the acquisitions and how they fit into your portfolio. Yeah, look, I always think about strategy as sort of answering that question of what are you providing to who? And it, it causes you to, to really focus on what is it that you want to, what value proposition you offer. You know, I think we got a little bit astray in our diabetes business. We didn't really organize around who are we trying to serve? And it was really that intensively managed patients, the ones that are using both background or basal insulin, as well as uh, mealtime insulin. And, you know, we used to sort of decide where it is that a patient should go in their journey to get the best outcome. We had one solution, it's this pump solution. And, you know, in the United States, which is the most heavily penetrated market for type one, that's probably what 30, 35% of the patients actually get to this sophisticated automated insulin delivery mm-hmm. that we've, you know, we've been at for, for multiple years, multiple decades now, making it better and better. It's even less common in type twos, of course. And then when you get outside the United States, maybe it's 10% of the population. Wow. So the vast majority of people using background and mealtime insulin are doing what they call multi, multiple daily injections. Your ability to control your blood sugar on multiple daily injections is thwarted by a lot of things. What you eat, uh, how, what activity you do, how you respond to both the food you eat, the insulin you take, all kinds of different stressors in your system, you know, things from like puberty to just mental stress. The fact that we were only offering one solution to get people to a place where their blood sugar is in a really healthy range, not too high, not too low, has both everyday implications, your mood, how you're going to be interacting with people around you just by having excursions with blood sugar high or low. And then, of course, it gets more dangerous than that. You could wind up in the emergency room in a coma from having too low blood sugar. You have a car crash, you have a, a diabetic ketoacidosis, and then we go into a coma from high blood, blood, blood sugar. And then over time, of course, you're running really high blood sugars for a long time of the type of diabetes you have. You're damaging your, your small vessels. It can affect your vision, your kidney mm-hmm. health, and your cardiovascular health over time. So it's, um, you know, it's really something you got to be in that kind of normal range of blood sugar. So I, I say all that just as kind of pretext for what decisions we want to make. We want to focus on that right patient who is using intensive instant management, but we want to do it in a way that we can get them great outcomes, keep that blood sugar in great control but reduce and reduce and reduce all of the kind of decisions they have to make, the mental, physical, emotional burdens that are placed on them by this disease, by simplifying things. So the first one we wanted to do was really expand our paradigm about you should be able to choose how you want to get your insulin. 
I talk about how diabetes is a personal disease, right? Some people mm-hmm. really, really don't want anyone to know they have diabetes in the type. So wearing a big clunky pump on them is not something they want the world to see. So that mm-hmm. discretion is important. Or you could live in a country somewhere where you just don't have the, the healthcare resources to allocate money to s- such a good and sophisticated solution. You want to do something simpler. So we, we purchased a company called Companion Medical, um, which is the first and only FDA cleared smart insulin pen. It's a pen and it's an app system. And what it does is allows us to collect the information from our continuous glucose monitor, anyone, frankly, or blood glucose that you use from the finger stick, and then correlate that with how much insulin do you have? How many calories have you eaten? Particular carbohydrates have you eaten? And we can give information to a patient that helps them get to better, healthier blood sugar range, but at a lower kind of um, technological hurdle, mm-hmm. at a lower entry point for cost, and without adding a whole bunch of new effort or difficulty. So, you know, right now that that's important because we've already seen people whose time that they spend in a normal blood sugar range just by having this information on their phone where they can see how much insulin do I have? I have a calculator that when I eat something, they put in how many grams, you know, how much insulin's there. And it tells you how much insulin you need to take that meal. You make fewer mistakes. So that time in the normal blood sugar range gets a lot better um, by, by about five points, which is, that's, that's a, a really big health improvement in the world. The other two acquisitions we've made, one was called Neutrino and one was called Clue. The first one, Neutrino, is an, it's a machine learning platform, first and foremost. And it also contains the world's largest food database. So one of the problems that you have to put into your calculator, you know, how many grams of carbohydrates you have, it's really, really hard to guess. Try that in a restaurant. It's even harder still. Sure. Right. So we can, we have this really good content of what's in food. And it's not just carbohydrates and how much fat or how much protein is in that can also affect that. That's really, you know, at the surface level, you say, okay, great. You've got this really accurate way to get information about carbs, but that's adding a lot to have somebody going to log all that food. What we also can do is using a bunch of passive and actively collected data. We can tell that you're a creature habit. Tom, you probably eat about the same thing every day for lunch at about the same time, right? Especially during the pandemic. But (laughs) maybe no comment. So you think about, okay, well, that's interesting. Now, what do you do with that? Well, your body's pretty smart. Your pancreas is really smart. When you're about to sit down to lunch, you're thinking about eating lunch. You're already starting to take your blood sugar lower. Your pancreas does this all by itself. We can do the same thing. We can use machine learning to predict your behaviors. We know you're likely to be eating lunch. We can start to take your background insulin to a place where your blood sugar is going lower. And then when you're eating, you can tell us what you're eating and probably a big, big spots, a kind of usual meal, a little more than I normally do, or very, very prescriptive that I'm having this baked potato and uh, some salmon or whatever it is, put the whole meal content in there. So that was this neutrino acquisition that allows us to kind of know what's in food and then be able to track that you're about to do something. But what was really important is to know when somebody's doing something. And we bought this this company called Clue, uh, came out of the Stanford group, where by gesturing on a wearable, you know that somebody's eating or drinking with like 99.9% accuracy. So super accurate. Wow. And why that's important is if I know Tom's about to sit and eat something and uh, 
I could start to take this background insulin down. I'm using an automated system. Or, you know, you're supposed to announce your meal, take a bolus of insulin beforehand, and then correct it if you need to because you've got it wrong. Well, you think about that burden. That's hundreds of decisions that someone makes every day that we can really automate. We can know you're about to eat. We can remind you to take that insulin if you haven't done or deliver it because we can detect that you're eating. And we know where your blood sugar is headed and we can do all kinds of things in that, in that realm. So it's really a lot of platform technology that we're going to put into both pen and pump solutions that simplify all that complicated stuff I just talked about. So you really have to think about it. It's sort of autopilot, which is really, you know, the kind of holy grail for this is to have this closed loop. But if you, if you aren't interested or can't afford to go to the full automated insulin delivery system, we can still remind you to take your insulin at the right time mm-hmm. and drive your health outcomes even higher. We did one small study where we got about the same amount of benefit. We measured something called A1C, which is like a summary report card at the end of the quarter, you know, tells you how well did you do at managing your blood sugar. And with just reminding people to bolus, we get about the same improvement as we did by automating that insulin with a pump to begin with. So really a big health improvement. And, you know, this, this kind of uh, leadership on that next wave of things, we've really pioneered a lot of things in this business. Uh, continuous glucose monitors were invented here. Uh, really the perfection of that insulin delivery in an automated way was done here. And I think this is the next level where we just take it to just more and more anticipation, understanding what's, what's uh, there and taking care of it in the background and doing it in a way that's not obtrusive that uh, really gets people to live their life the way they want to and kind of forget about their numbers and their diabetes all as much as they possibly can. Can't imagine how exhausting that that level of management must be, as you said, making hundreds of decisions a day uh, that uh, are literally critical decisions. How, how difficult has it been to integrate all those those different technologies into your 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 business? Did they come with employees and cultures that you had to, or, or were you just buying the, yeah. the devices themselves and fitting them into what you had? No, like you, when you buy companies, you don't ever buy people. You have to earn that. Good point. (laughs) You you buy technology, you buy patents, and then you know the integrations. I'm glad you asked about that because it's really important that you weave that into a fabric that keeps what's special about what you bring into the company, but you layer it in the context of bigger strategy that you're trying to 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 go forward with. And I've had a lot of experience in a number of different acquisitions over the years. And I think what always works well is when you're just upfront about what role are you playing and what what does good look like. how do you fit into the big picture and just you know, constantly remind everybody about how that, that all works. But you don't go in and just sort of, you know, just take the products and leave the people behind you need. Mm-hmm. So I'd say, you know, they've been very, very seamless um, bringing all these acquisitions in. Because I think people see the vision of what we're trying to do. You talked about the activated community. Everybody knows that this meal handling thing is like the third rail of diabetes. It's, mm-hmm. it's so difficult. It's such a, such a stress point for people. So we put this vision together and what, how, how these uh, components fit into it. It's very motivating. People really see it right away and say, this, this is something I want to be involved in. So it's been, it's been really fun. You put more effort into communicating with your patient community than perhaps other businesses do. Well, you know, it's, it's a good question. I mean, the other businesses I work in, part of Bastard's side, a lot of them are, you know, the patients asleep on the table. Mm-hmm. No are. 
Nobody's <laughs> talking to that patient. Right. But here, you know, it's it's a lifelong relationship that you're hoping to build where you you go through this devastating period where somebody is newly diagnosed, your child is newly diagnosed, or you've you've had a cardiac event in the type two world and find out that you have this, this disease you need to manage. And you really want to try to get people through those areas of fear and get them to be successful in managing this disease that can feel very random. You know, you could eat the same thing two days in a row and a totally different reaction to that food. And it's just frustrating, right? So we try to get people onboarded in a very personalized way, get them on the technology, support them through their whole journey um, to better and better health. And yeah, that takes a, a constant amount of communication with them directly through people they trust too. There's a lot of very vocal people in the community who are going to make a mistake. They're going to amplify that. If you do something that's great for patients, they're going to amplify that too. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really, we, we are in the real world of trust. Somebody that trusts you with their disease, trust you that you've got something that's going to help them, trust you that you're going to get them through the friction points, the successes that they're, they're seeking. It could be simple things like even working through insurance problems that may, may pop up in a given country. And yeah, you know, we really we call that in totality the, the the experience that we're trying to really make better. Some of that's product related, some of it's not product related. And really, the two core parts of our strategy are to drive innovation in product and services that are just at that better and better experience to make their hopefully their disease fade into the background as much as it possible can. I mean that that's a great great objective. Let's let's talk a bit about your your automated insulin delivery system, the, the Minimed 780G. I know you you released it in Europe. There's been a slowdown at the FDA. Give us an update on on that. Sure. Yeah, we have part of it in the U.S. already. We have something mm-hmm. called the 770G, which is the same hardware platform. And what that does is it, it adds a lot of the connectivity features that were not there in the prior generations of product, uh, specifically that. You can now see your insulin data and your CPM data on your phone, and you can share that information with another caregiver. You can also upload the reports automatically in the background to your healthcare providers. So you don't have to hook up to a computer and download stuff on your office visits. So it really makes that workflow a lot better. And of course, it's been helpful to have that automation of uploading in the middle of this COVID environment where nobody wants to have unnecessary healthcare exposures. So it really helped telemedicine. Sure. Um, you know, our age indication goes down to, to the youngest for a pump, all the way down to age two, and all the way through, you know, the full life cycle patient. But that same hardware platform and that same ability with connectivity allows us to upgrade the algorithm, which is 780. And the difference between 770 and 780 is primarily, well, two things, really. It's that you could set your normal blood glucose target lower than any other device in the market, including our 770. We can set it at, at 100 which is, you know, that's what you and I have, the normal blood sugar as a kind of target value. And uh, you can do that without risking putting people in low blood sugar. So that's really a big deal. People want to have a lower target. They want to be able to have as, as good a blood sugar control as they possibly can. The other thing it does is it, it starts to get toward that meal automation I was talking about, where if your blood sugar is going up, you know, we can always, every five minutes, we're in the background adjusting how much insulin you've got. But when you eat, we can automatically bolus if you haven't corrected enough. For example, you haven't pre-bolused soon enough or you haven't given enough insulin. We see the blood sugar going up. It automatically corrects that. Mm-hmm. It does that without having to tell you anything. It just does it in the background. It can do that every five minutes. So we see the trend of where you're going. 
And we know where it's the algorithm knows what's going to happen and it automatically does that. So it's very forgiving in that way. And you now the the kind of report card you get on that is how well did you do keeping that patient in range? And you know, we're at 80% both in the clinical trial now. We just had a publication of our postmark experience. That's really remarkable to be in range that often. That's even before we get to the automation and meal handling. So we think we're getting closer and closer to that kind of nirvana of closing the loop. And, uh, you know, 780 has just been phenomenal in Europe. It's, it's really, really done exceptionally well. It's, you know, I, I get to be in these Facebook groups and you can see people post their phone shot, their screenshot about their time and range and their That's great. 90%, 100%. And it's just life changing. It really is. You see these people have been, they've delivered the disease for 30 years and they've never had such good control. And not only that, it's been so easy. They don't have to do anything to do that. It's just taking care of it in the background. And now it's, it is truly remarkable how these devices can help people just feel successful in managing their chronic disease. So what is it you need from the FDA to, to release it in, in the U.S.? Uh, is- well, we filed it with the FDA, so we're just waiting for it. Okay. Honestly, we just, the FDA has been crushed. This particular division, the, I think it's OHT7, the particular flavor of FDA, yeah. has had the dual purpose of COVID diagnostics on top of the diabetes technology. So the, the entire industry has really been in waiting mode because the obvious priorities with COVID. So the, the medical reviewers in particular who are, you know, pouring through the, the clinical data that backs up the, um, the device we've already submitted. That's really the constraint. So we're just waiting for that to come through. One of the more intriguing things about your business, I thought, was the, the, the partnership with Blackstone, the private equity group coming yeah. in. Uh, hadn't really seen something that, like that before. Therefore, wasn't quite sure what to read into it. You know, is this the is this the does the signal is a, a buyout happening? Is there a spin out? Is it a, talk to, yeah. to talk to me about that relationship? What is it, and and what will it provide for Medtronic? You know, Medtronic has got this embarrassment of riches issue. Right? So I, in addition to the diabetes business, I oversee the eat this cardiovascular portfolio. And we have so many credible ideas that we can invest in. We can do anything, but we can't do everything. Mm-hmm. So how do you, how do you pick the right things to invest in across your enterprise? Um, and, and make sure that you're making the best use of your capital. How do you allocate that from your PL, your balance sheet? Or in this case, you know, through Blackstone's money. And Blackstone is partnership with us is helping us to, while we're working on driving some more near-term programs with our, our P&L dollars. And we used our balance sheet. We just talked about three things we did with the balance sheet to add capabilities uh, to build technologies out. Um, Blackstone's something in the middle where you're using your same team, their money on riskier projects that are a little bit longer term. So mm-hmm. what it means for us is we can, we can kind of drive near-term projects and really disruptive things that you may not have invested in because you have to for resources across an enterprise or because the risk profile is a little higher, but you're doing that with your own people. So when you ask me about the integration and acquisition, every one of those slows you down. You have to kind of rebuild everything that's sure. fundamentally broken when you buy it because you have to fit it into all your systems and all the sophistication of that. So you're not really integrating those technologies. And from a kind of financial lens, you think about it, the, um, the return you get on the capital you invest in off your P&L if it's successful, is always the highest. It's the best investment you can make. But, you know, your tolerance for failure there is pretty low. 
you want to make sure that you're doing maybe safer bets. When you buy big acquisitions, your return on capital for that is pretty diluted because you're waiting to de-risk everything. You don't want to take big risks. You tend to spend a lot of capital there. This is something in between where it's de-risk because it's your people, but still sufficiently risky. And you're kind of you're built in a lot of things. So that return on capital is somewhere in that middle. It is different. We don't use this a lot in med tech, but it's been no. commonly done in the pharma industry. That's right. Where they're taking like uh, phase three trials, for example, where it's a bigger trial, much bigger bet. And uh, you know, do you want to do you want to make that bet with your own capital or somebody else's? So yeah, it's a financial instrument, but at the same time, it's really, a, I think, an incredible way of allocating capital that gets the best of both worlds where you can take bigger risks. Our partner gets really successful in incentives are aligned. If we do really well with these programs, they're going to make a great return. And uh, we're going to get things that we may not have invested because it's, uh, it's taking a bigger risk. It's a great point about pharma, and that is something we have seen there. But I haven't, maybe I missed it. Is Blackstone working on or connected with specific projects or products? I got the sense it was rather open-ended. It's very defined. So okay. There are four programs that we have joint steering committee meetings. And, okay. You know, they're, they're, they're on the journey with us. They're not just a passive financial investor. They're there with us uh, making these decisions, walking through all the you know, ups and downs of product development. So, yeah, it's been a good partnership. Excellent. Uh, well, I guess this kind of relates to my final question. Is Medtronic and diabetes for the long haul? Yeah, look, we've got a really exciting opportunity in front of us. This is a very large uh, market with lots of them that needs rapid growth. Now, I'm not sure we played it right in the last couple of years, I'm honest with you, but I really think we've got the team in place. We've got the right investments from all those flavors of capital allocation discussed. And just a patient population at the other end of this that really deserve a better life. It's certainly not for the this faint-hearted. This is a very <laughs> difficult market. It moves fast, but it's exciting, and things we can do here are, are really, really rewarding. Excellent. Well, it's uh, I'm, I'm grateful you took time to 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 explain all that to us on the podcast, uh, Sean. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate the opportunity. Well, that is a wrap. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of Medtronic Talks. It was great to have Sean Salmon and hear his story. Thank you again to BMP Medical for sponsoring, and thank you again for choosing to listen to this podcast. I'm Tom Salemi. I'm Editorial Director of Device Talks. You can find past episodes of the Medtronic Talks podcast on devicetalks.com. You can also find our Device Talks weekly podcast there and information about our other Device Talks products. We have a bunch of them, including in-person events, which will be starting up in 2022. Until then, though, keep listening to the Medtronic Talks podcast. You can find it and our Device Talks weekly podcast on all major podcast channels, Amazon, Google, Spotify, Apple, we're everywhere. So subscribe so you don't miss a future episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast. Thanks, everyone.